Hi everyone and welcome back to the second ever Motherkind moment. Thank you for taking this moment for yourself to help you feel calmer, lighter and perhaps even shift your perspective a little before the busy week ahead. This week's moment is with Dr. Gabor Mate. I'm sure you know of Dr. Gabor. He is a renowned addiction expert, speaker, author, and he's sought after for his expertise on trauma, addiction, stress, and childhood development. This is one of the most powerful conversations I have ever had on the podcast, and it is still the most downloaded ever to date. It was so hard to choose a 10-minute clip. It is no exaggeration that I've listened to this episode about five times this morning, trying to find the most powerful 10-minute clip for you. The whole episode is just remarkable and powerful. But I did manage to kick my perfectionism out of the way and find a 10-minute clip. And in it, Gabor talks about why it's so hard to be a mother today and why it is our profound responsibility to keep being curious about our own behaviour on this journey of parenting. I hope you really enjoy it. Here it is. Do you think this is the hardest time to be a mother? Right now? Yeah. I know we're not at war. and We're, we're, not, not. A, we're not at war and... I don't know what it's like to be a mother doing Britain as industrialization times with long hours at factories and all that. So, I mean, but let me tell you this, that since the Second World War, this is the hardest time to be a mother. Because after the Second World War, there was for a while a sense of joint purpose and communality. And there was much more of a social network to support people. But since the 70s, with the increasing neoliberalization of the economy, the austerity, the cutback on social programs, the cutbacks in education, the loss of support. This is the hardest. And, and the increasing stresses on people and the need to fulfill these multiple roles has become very hard to be a mother. Absolutely. And that's the experience that I hear time and time again yeah. from, you know, I work with hundreds of mothers on this sort of stuff. So I just wanted to loop back around about some of the things that we were talking about yeah. that it just piques my personal passion so much, which is around these adaptations and meeting our children's needs. And if there's someone listening who is thinking, I want to change this, I want to become more conscious in myself. Yeah. My belief is that we have to do that for ourselves first before we can give it to our children. Simultaneous. Okay. So could you explain that? And I know you talk about it in your book, Hold On To Your Children, but can you talk about what that process looks like? Where does someone go with this? Well, let me talk about one aspect that we didn't talk about in Hold On To Your Kids, which is, as I said just a moment ago, women have always carried the role of being the stress absorbers of their families, including their husbands. So in my marriage, I was a very needy little boy when I was 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years old. You know, who becomes the mother? The women automatically take on that mother and roll towards their spouses, which means that if I have two children, then the mother has not three babies to look after, the two little ones and the big baby who's 30 or 40. And women automatically very often take this on. That's immensely stressful. So first of all, look at your marriage and ask yourself, how much mothering am I? I'm not talking about genuine spouse-to-spouse -spouse support, which is meant to be reciprocal. And that's, of course, why we connect. But how much one-way emotional supporting and parenting I'm doing to my spouse? Because everything I do that way is taken away from my children. 
That was brilliant to hear. So you have to look at that first. And then secondly, you really have to understand the attachment needs of the child and how does the child manifest those attachment needs very often through behaviors that we then punish them for. So we use this phrase acting out. Mm. And by acting out, we mean a kid who is obstreperous or disruptive or rude or aggressive. That's not what acting out means. Acting out is a really good English phrase. What does it actually mean? In a game of charades, when you're not allowed to speak, what do you have to do? You have to act out. If I landed in England and spoke not a word of English, but I was hungry. Be flailing your arms everywhere, wouldn't you? Well, I might be pointing my belly or my mouth and making eating motions. I have to act it out. So when children act out, that's exactly what they're doing. But what they're acting out are their emotional needs. They're showing us. They're showing us something that's lacking. Because they don't have the words to say it in language. They're throwing it through behavior to get our attention. But any child who acts out, whether they're aggressive or whether they're bullying their younger siblings or bullying other kids in school or they're throwing tantrums, whatever they're doing, they're acting something out. Now, the parenting experts will tell you, control that behavior and get rid of it. Yeah. Which is to say, let's ignore the child's emotional needs so we get them to comply with us. This is what the parenting experts say. And what should really happen is the parent needs to be taught to understand and parents instinctively if they pay attention to their gut feelings you know that that child is in pain you know that that child is in distress you know that that behavior is a marker of distress you don't do it by trying to squash the behavior you respond by oh you're very angry right now you must be very hurt right now something's going on for you ah And your nervous system relaxes and your heart opens and it softens. And then the child immediately can become vulnerable. Yeah, the tears come up. The tears come up. And as my brilliant co-writer on Hold On To Your Kids, Gordon Neufeld, says, we shall be saved in an ocean of tears. So there's two kinds of tears. There are the tears of frustration, which don't help. But then there's the tears of vulnerability and genuine grief, which do promote growth. Not that we make kids suffer grief deliberately, but when they're sad about something, we help them experience that sadness without making them wrong for how they're acting it out. So really we have to understand what children are telling us through their behavior. Mm. And of course, mothers also need to look after themselves, which we already talked about. Well, what disconnects? I'm sure, you know, we talked about some of it, but just to really underscore the point, what disconnects someone from that instinct so we talked about society, the stress, yeah. presumably. Well, what this comes from our instincts is when early in childhood, we are taught that to belong and to be acceptable and accepted, we have to suppress ourselves. So we actually, even a disconnection is not a mistake. It's a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. It's, as you say, an adaptation. So that disconnect doesn't happen for no reason. It's a brilliant survival technique, but it's unconscious. And here's the generational stuff, right? right. So we get taught. Yeah. I certainly got taught. Yeah. Disconnect from your instincts. Yeah. And our parents are disconnected. Because my parents were disconnected. Because what happened to them, you know? And then and then we parent our children in the same way and then they'll parent their children in the same way. Exactly. That's just how it's passed on. And nobody does it deliberately. And actually we're doing something that goes quite contrary to our best intentions. Only because we don't know any better. And unfortunately, this social structure and the so called experts, you never lose money by writing another book on how to discipline kids, how to force them into this mold or another. These are always bestsellers because they're so expressive of what the society expects. 
So they always get big media play. And parents are desperate and they're frustrated. So they need through these quick solutions. Well, because it can be so triggering. Yeah. I found it very triggering when I first, well, still, what am I talking about? I still find it triggering. By triggering, you mean? You know, when Jessie has, that's my, she's three and a half, when she has a tantrum, it's taken me loads of work with a therapist to not want to shut that down. It brings up so much well, of so, my own pain. Well, exactly. And triggering. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Here? Yeah, I'd love you yeah, to. Okay. So what did you feel when Jessie was having a tantrum? I felt that I wanted her to be okay. My no, instinct no, no, was no, no, to no, shut no. her down. Hold on. Let me interrupt you. I felt I wanted to be okay. That's not a feeling. Okay. Okay, that's an intention. Yeah. What did you feel? And to shut her down wasn't an instinct. It was an emotional reaction. Mm. Your instincts are actually to love her and to support her. Mm. Okay. So what did you actually feel? I felt sad. You felt sadness. Mm. What did you feel sad about? That she was feeling sad, that she was so unhappy in that moment. And what made you angry? Mm, I don't know. Because you were angry as well, weren't you? When she was showing a tantrum? Yeah, I wanted her to stop for sure. I still want her to stop. What made you angry? Maybe the feeling of sadness or the feeling of... You, you didn't want to be feel sad? Yeah. What she was doing made you feel sad? Yeah. And so you wanted to make her responsible for how you felt? Yeah. Okay. Now, when was the first time in your life that you wished somebody else wasn't sad? Oh, early. Okay. My mom. In other words, you made your daughter into your mother. Mm. This is why it triggered you so much. Okay. Mm. You didn't do this deliberately. No. But this is what happens. All you had was an unhappy kid. And all she needed was for you to say, oh, you're really unhappy right now. You know, come here. You know, that's all she needed. Now, let's look at that word that you use, triggering. Metaphorically, it's a very interesting, very telling word. How big a part of the weapon is the trigger? Tiny. Tiny. What makes up the weapon is ammunition, explosives, a whole barrel and a mechanism to deliver the ammunition to the intended target. The trigger is a very small part. So instead of looking at the trigger, mm-hmm. let's look at all this explosive stuff that we're carrying inside ourselves. Yeah. Which is the work that you did with your therapist. Yeah, thank uh, God. To, to your child's benefit. Yeah. But really, your reactions had nothing to do with your child. No. It's all about you and all about what happened to you as a kid. And again, as we keep pointing out, what happened to your mom as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this links round right full circle to the start of this interview, which is, and that's an example of, I guess, me attempting to, by then taking that to my therapist, look after myself first. That's right. Yeah. That's right. As soon as you get curious, your instinct was, I don't want to be this way with my daughter. No. I want to be loving. Yeah. I wanna, that's your instinct. Yeah. It's that instinct that took you to the therapist. And I knew the theory. I mean, I was already with the therapist and I knew the theory, yeah, yeah. right? Because I'd, I'd listened to you for years. Yeah. I, I knew the theory of to be with her and let her have exactly yeah, what you yeah, were just saying. You're having yeah. big feelings. and But something was going on in me. Well, listen, it was even more revealing, perhaps. You listened to me, so you knew this. I teach this stuff and I know this. I still have, have a hard time, you know. That makes me feel better. Ma- 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 because it's... There's different parts to us. There's the conscious, aware, adult part. But we all carry this wounded child inside of ourselves, mm. and that's what gets triggered. Maybe it was my six-month-old or my that's, one-year-old. That's or... exactly right, yeah. And that's what we have to deal with. And the, the good news is we can deal with it. We can grow up. You know, it's never too late to have a happy childhood as somebody wants well, to. That's what I find so thrilling about your work mm. is that you present all this in such a brilliant way. And then the hope, which is that, you know, we can heal, we can change. It's not a hope. 
No. It's an actual possibility. Yeah, well, it, I'm, I'm a living example of that. Right. So are you. Yeah, right. And that kind of healing is accessible to everybody, but it does take some work. Yeah. And, and some awareness and some genuine compassion for oneself and some genuine curiosity about, okay, why did I do that? I really want to love my kid, but here I was, I lost it again. It's not a question of, why did I do that? But, hmm, why did I do that? Well, that beating up is part of the same adaptation, right? Exactly, right. Now you beat ourselves up because otherwise the beating up is a way to keep yourself in line with adult expectation. You're putting yourself on the naughty step. So that was the clip. I hope you really enjoyed it. It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Please go back and have a listen to the whole episode again. I can tell you, having done that quite a few times this morning, I had so many more new insights listening back. So please do go and have a listen. Also, before you go, just let you know, my next round of group coaching starts on the 15th of November. Head to motherkind.co to learn more. And I will see you on Thursday for a brand new in-depth interview. Have a great day.